0: We are diving into a series called Collateral Beauty for Easter. It's all about the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's not going to be about a movie. We're just kind of stealing some stuff from it, okay? Um, But this whole season, this series, is all about Jesus rewriting the scope of history. Might have some special effects along the way, apparently. that Jesus enters into this season, this incredibly important season. If you want some extracurricular reading, go ahead and read the Exodus story as well. It's a wonderful way to step into Jesus' action during Passover, during Easter, is to get grounded into what God is doing through the Exodus story. God is redeeming the Jewish people, and then we find ourselves Jesus redeeming all people. It's this beautiful parallel that happens in Scripture. And uh, it will re kind of you've always heard the same sermons at Easter. Right. If you come to Easter service, your friends or your family come to Easter. The pastor says the same stinking thing every Easter. Ser- That's because it's kind of a big deal. But if you start putting that in the context of Exodus, you're like, oh, he's been doing this the whole time. Over and over again, this redeeming of humanity. And so we're going to explore this. But really through the context and through the, the eyes of what it looks like, what the world looks at, and what we should look at, these these elements of love and of time and of death. And we're going to add one of life. What that means to us, what it can mean for you, and what it can mean for your family, what it can mean for your neighbors, what can it mean for your loved ones. We took the name in the bumper video for... From this movie, Collateral Beauty. It's an interesting movie. If you watch it, you will cry. That is, you know, it's, it's intentionally made at Christmas time to be a tearjerker. It's a, I mean, it starts out with a kid dying of cancer, a six year old dying with cancer. Okay, you're crying already. And so it's like, okay, we're done. We're good. We're going to cry during the movie. You know, if you rent it, there's a few bad words in it. That's about all, um, all this stuff. I'm not endorsing the movie or whatever. Definitely not endorsing the theology of the movie. But watching it, These abstracts kept on, even the trailer, I had it, I watched the trailer once, uh, nine months ago, and I said, I got to do an Easter series on this, I have to do a series on this, because it just grabbed me, these, these elements of how we interpret the ideas of love, and of time, and of death, and what Jesus is really doing at Easter is, he's setting how we view all of these incredibly important things, and turning them, and changing them, and saying, here's what they're really all about. And so that's what we're going to explore this week. The truths that come out of the movie are this. We long for love. We wish we had more time. And we fear death. Now, these are true pretty much among all of the human condition. We long for love. We make some stupid choices because of love. Right. I found myself as a 19 year old boy at a uh, at Clue's production hall watching cats. Now, you know, you're in love with a girl when you're 19 years old and you go to cats. Stupidest play ever. Um, this is not a ringing endorsement of that, but you know, you're in love when you do crazy things like go to productions of cats, you go and you, you do all kinds of weird stuff because of love and so we all have these different viewpoints of love and, and what we think love is. And we talked a couple weeks ago about what love looks like in our relationships, but we're going to even look at love in a broader sense uh, this morning. But that's where we're going to be at today. Next week, we're going to, I'm real excited about talking about time and what we do with it. And then uh, we'll do death on Palm Sunday and then life on Easter. The love of God is available to everyone. And our response to that love shapes who we are and who We become the love of God is available to everyone. And our response to that love shapes who we are and who we become. This idea of love and this, this idea of the love of God dramatically shifts the way in which we see the world. It's when we understand just a glimpse of what the love of God is like it is like putting on glasses for the first time when you've been blind your whole life. The blurry, I was talking to one of my friends this week and he said, "Ah, oh, man, it's a whole new life today. So what's going on? I put new contacts in. Everything's not fuzzy. If you have allergies right now, this time of year, you know exactly what I'm talking about because about 10 o'clock at night, you can join my wife in wanting to rip your eyeballs out. Right. But then you wake up in the morning, you put some visine and you put those beautiful new contacts and it's like, oh, I just put pillows on my eyes. Right? We, we joke about it, but this is really what it's like when people understand, get a glimpse, get a taste of what the love of God is like. We kind of see what love is, but when we see love of God, it opens our eyes to a whole new world. Our theme kind of statement for this whole series is collateral beauty is when love invades your life, your heart and soul. It changes your environment. And so this idea that love invades all of who we are, that often we get glimpses of it. Often we get little touches of it. Often we get little like snippets of it. But when we let it invade, what Jesus wants to do in our lives is invade all of us, take all of us out to change our whole of our heart, change the whole of our mind, change the whole of our soul It can't help but change around us. And this is what I'm calling collateral beauty. It does collateral beauty kind of things. When someone's life is changed, when they're acting out of true love, things around them changes. The way you even treat your dog changes. The way you act at work changes. The way in your marriage relationship starts to change. The way you treat your kids start to change. It's collateral beauty of what's going on in the love environment of your soul, of your heart, of your mind. The love of God is available to everyone. And our response to that love shapes who we are and who we become. This movie showed me that I take a lot of things for granted. This movie showed me what it is. If you watch collateral beauty, you're going to go, Oh, that's a nice story. But for me, watching it, I said, people are just so close to getting it, but so far away. Like, yeah, kind of. I found myself just like, no. But what, why I was so uncomfortable with the movie was that it was, it was a, a couple of writers and actors who have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> They're coming at at it as a whole different angle of going without the Bible, without Jesus, without what real love is, and trying to get as close as they possibly can without knowing love, what it truly is. And I take this for granted. I've grown up in the church. Got to go to a a Christian college. I got a loving family who raised me in the scriptures. I I take... what love is. I take what. how do we deal with time. I take how I deal with death for granted. Someone dies in the Hauser household. It is a blow, but it's not the end. It doesn't even enter our brains with the end. My grandma, great grandma passed away when I was in college, probably 21, 22 years old. And the dividing line of who our family was that had faith and who our family In our our, our family did not have faith, how they dealt with the passing of Grandma Grandma Burr was astounding to me. It was shaping to me. It was the first time I could look in a room and go, I know now who the believers are and who the believers aren't. Because to us who had a relationship with Jesus and knew that Grandma Burr had a a relationship with Jesus and some of the funniest stories I could ever tell you in my whole entire life are about her and her interactions at church. Amen. Uh, So, but the way in which we viewed that, that this is not the end, it's just the beginning, was totally different than the the people in our family who had no frame of reference for what God's love was doing, how she was going to have everlasting life. And maybe you find yourself in a place today and you think of funerals that you've gone to and you go, yeah, I've seen that. I thought of a, Several ways to describe this because this has really been rattling around my brain, how much I take this for granted. And so, uh, there's something else I take for granted in life it's the ability to swim. I'm a great swimmer, and I can swim, and I don't have any fear of going in the water. Put me in the ocean, put me in a lake, put me in a pool, whatever. I don't care if it's 100 feet deep or five feet deep. I'm comfortable. I don't, you know, just here we go. I've been that way since I was probably about five years old. Always swimming. My first swim lessons, I was probably like three months old. I did some sort of baby mommy and me swim lessons. Like I've always been in the water. I think my mom was just trying to drown me from an early age, but um, (laughs) that's not true. Um, But I take swimming for granted. And if you're a swimmer, you probably do as well. You're not scared to death of getting in the water. I have a friend. Jimmy has a friend. We have a friend named Keith Norman. And Keith Norman is a, he, he lifts all the time. He's a pastor down in Woodstock. He is a, a, a cut young man. And I'll call him young man. He's like 15 years older than me, but I'll still call him that. He'll, be, he'll listen to this message and smile about that. But he is scared to death of the water scared to death of the water. You know Daniel Burner, the guy with a crazy beard. He comes up here, sometimes plays drums or or guitar for us. If you don't know him, he's a crazy hipster. There you go. You you know him now. Love him. (laughs) Love him. Love him. My kids call him uncle, so that's how close we are. But me and Daniel are at a retreat with Keith. We're at a pond. Well, Keith goes out on this little pier on the pond. The water is two and a half feet deep. You can see the bottom from where you're at. And Daniel and I start creeping up on Keith to push him in the water. And he hears us. He said, if you do, I will punch you in the mouth. Yeah. Now, there's, if Keith punched me, I would feel it for a while. Okay, so that was the true. But if you're totally overreacting, it's two and a half feet of water. Two and a half feet of water to me means absolutely nothing. Two and a half feet of water to someone who cannot swim is petrifying. Right? We live in a world... I think where as Christians, we've been swimming for a long time our whole life. We take how we deal with love and life and death for granted. And we see our friends and our neighbors flailing along and we're like, if that person splashes me one more time, so help me. That's what we think. Not they are drowning in how they deal with life and time and death. Because they don't have the coping mechanisms that we have dealt with. They don't have the the coping mechanisms of what Jesus gives us. He says, you know what? This The end is not the end. It is the beginning. So as I, as I think about that, as I think about Easter, as I think about who we're becoming and how we deal with these huge issues, I know some people in here are just kind of like, well, I got water wingies on and I'm still not comfortable. Don't you take away my water wingies. Don't you take away my, my life preserver and others. Jared, I've been doing the backstrokes forever. But we need to think about what it's like to to walk into a pool and not know how to swim. Because our job as disciples of, of Jesus is to expose people to what the beauty of swimming could be. How they can cut through the water and how they can live this life in a whole dramatically different fashion. John 3, 16 to 18 says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world and condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Go back to 17. We, don't, we often don't read 17. Everyone's heard John 3.16. Thank you, Tim Tebow. Right? Uh, but but we, we've all heard John 3.16. But John 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now that is the act of love. And for many of us, we condemn the world because they're not living the way in which we think they should. That's not love. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to do what? To save the world. Maybe we should act not as you know, the pool patrol, but as lifeguards. I'll tell you what, if you've been a lifeguard, Ashley's taken, I think, the lessons to be a lifeguard. Being a lifeguard, they teach you some crazy things. They teach you some weird, weird, weird things. You basically tackle and subdue the people you are trying to save. Because drowning people are crazy. Drowning people will poke you in the eye, punch you in the gut, and drown you because they are desperate for a little thing called oxygen. The people in our lives are desperate for a little thing called love. And so when we go in and save them, like, well, that person hurt me, they hit me, they, they, they bit me, they spit at me, you can't believe what they said to me, Jared. That's because as lifeguards, it's a dangerous job. Do you know how as a lifeguard you grab someone? You put them basically in a full Nelson, and if they fight, you kind of elbow them in the kidneys or knee them in the kidneys. They'll stop. You stop real quick when your kidneys hurt, right? But you have oxygen, so you'll thank me later. But that's how you save somebody. Some of us, we have people in our lives where I'm going to love you in a full Nelson. And that's what it's going to take. But sometimes we swim up next to people like, ooh, they're kind of splashy. My goggles are leaking. I don't know. I'm just going to let them go. But put in the reality of what swimming actually is and what eternity actually is, is that we are flailing in life and drowning, and then you die. But it was inconvenient. Maybe I'll get poked in the eye. I got some chlorine. I just, in my hair, I did it. I don't want to smell. We've got to dive in after people. He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And we get to be part of that as Christians. Some of you today, I, I want you to know if you're going, I'm here, and I don't, Jared, I don't feel like I'm drowning. I don't feel like I'm drowning, and I kind of take offense to that a little bit, Jared. I understand. I, I, I really thought, thought about that this week. As I thought about the movie, I thought, these guys are writing a movie they truly believe in. You don't, you don't make, spend millions of dollars on a movie, you're like, mm, it's kind of a good thought, Whatever. You truly believe that. So I was thinking about that, and I thought I thought of this. If I describe a sunset to you, what you truly see in a, as a sunset, if, if you could only see in black and white, put the black and white sunset up here. This is absolutely gorgeous. That's beautiful. All the, the different tones and... And it's such a good picture. You can, if you've been to the ocean, you can hear the. Whoosh, whoosh in the background, That's gorgeous. And for many of our brothers and sisters, many of our neighbors, many of the people that we work with, this is how we see life in black and white, maybe on gray scale. I don't want the truths of black and white. That's not what I'm trying to talk about, but we see it in, in gray scale, but with the love of Christ, permeating our eyes and the way in which we live life. This is how we should see the world. Put the color one on there. The depth, the grayscale is gorgeous, but nothing compared to this. When we deal and see and experience God's amazing, everlasting forgiveness, when we experience the love of God on a whole nother way, we go from seeing in grayscale to seeing in color. And that's hard to describe. I could say, but but there's oranges and purples and blues and reds. And there's, there's just so much more. And a person who sees in grayscale says, what's blue? What's purple? I don't get it. I don't care. Because my grayscale is pretty enough. And we live in America. We live in a lot of people where grayscale is just fine. And we can have beauty. We we hint on what love is. We see it a little bit. We, We can taste it a little bit. But we're missing out on the depth of all of what Jesus does when he shows us love. It's true. The grayscale is beautiful. But in reality... It's only a shadow of the life and the love you could be living. First John four, seven through 12 says this, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. And his love is brought to full expression in us. This is who we are to be, to love one another. How do we show beauty? How do we show what life can really be? We love one another. Do we love just the people that we like? No, we love one another. Do we love the people that we agree with on Facebook? No, we have to love one another. Another. Some people make it very, very difficult to love them. But we're called to love one another. When Jesus is downloading the last of his teachings to his disciples, it's after the last supper, after the foot washing, after all the, the dishes have been cleared away. Jesus starts teaching some of the most important lessons that he teaches his whole entire life. In John chapter 15, he says, As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, remain in his love. I've told you this, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. Verse 12, my command is this. This is the command of Jesus Christ. Love each other. and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Think about it. If are the last thing that Jesus on this earth can communicate to his disciples, he packs it all up. You can hear the desperation in his voice. You saw the miracles. You saw the stuff. I raised people from the dead. I healed the blind, whatever, whatever. What I want you to take from this is to love each other other. I want you to go from a black and white kind of world, from a gray scale kind of world to living in full color. I want you to love each other. The love of God is available to everyone and our response to that love shapes who we are and who we become. Love affects everything. It affects how we show love. Who we impact with love, what we restore with love. These things have collateral beauty. Love is not additional, it's exponential. Love is just not a love one-on-one conversation. It, when you have love, it affects the whole room around you over and over and over and over again in the Scripture. When someone comes in contact with God's love, with Jesus' love, they, it's like they're saved, yes, but then the Bible always has a sentence afterwards, and their whole household was saved. That's collateral beauty. Because I tell you what, when my life goes from seeing grayscale to being able to see in full color, I can't help but talk about it. This is what you're called for. This is what is in store for you. I thought of this little thing this week. It's like this. If you have a sixth grader who's struggling with their first encounters with algebra, And they're starting with their first encounters with algebra and they're they're mad about it. And the the, the screaming and the weeping and gnashing of teeth has started to happen. I don't know why I would talk about that from personal experience. Um, But the the screaming and the weeping and the gnashing of teeth start to happen and parents get mad. Maybe you are a, a, a chemical engineer and you're a brilliant mathematician and you don't understand a child who cannot get math. And so now you have this choice to make, either to be mad at your child or to find them help. And so the, But your kid, all they do is look at you and go, you're a mathematician. Do my homework for me. <laughs> Thank you for the backup, kids. <laughs> do it for me. Fix it. Do this now. As a parent, we have to do something else. We could help them with their homework. That only gets them an A on that grade at that time. What happens when the test happens? They fail. So if you're a good parent, don't feel judged by this. If you're a good parent, you get them a tutor. You get them help. Or you sit there and you weep and you gnash your teeth alongside them. You walk with them through it, but you get them help. But even an amazing parent, and this is what Jesus does, and this is where my my metaphor is going, is Jesus goes, you know what, I believe in you so much. Here's a piece of paper. And what that piece of paper says is your first year of college is paid for. It's paid for. All you got to do is show up. Your your, your, Your trip to Illinois, it's paid for. Because right now I know that you're struggling with math, but I believe in you so much. I have such a hope and a future for you that your future is already paid for. I believe in you. And that is what the love of God is kind of like. We struggle now and we just say, God, fix my math problem now. And a lot of us have struggled with this moment, struggled in this time where God didn't fix my math problem. He must not exist. When the whole time he was trying, he was weeping and gnashing teeth with you trying to, and the Holy spirit as that tutor is alongside you going, you know what? We can do this. We can get through this, but you have got to go through it. This is how that whole works, but God doesn't stop right there and helping us in our moment and our struggle at this time. He says, you know what? I believe in you so much that your future is paid for that it's bought. All you got to do is show up. This is what the love of God is like. It's what, God is inviting us to tell our friends about, our neighbors about, our family about. It's what I'm inviting you to be about this morning. To step into what the love of God is like. Collateral beauty is when love invades your life, your heart, and your soul. And it changes your environment. Is it scary? Absolutely. It's like swimming for the first time. Some of you are standing on the shore and watching and going, that looks like a lot of fun, but I don't know about that. Maybe today is a day that you could dive in. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for today and thank you for this moment and thank you for your love and thank you for Easter. And God, we ask you to be a part of our lives. And Lord, some of us need a nudge right now to, to step into the love that you have for us. Some of us need the the nudge right now to to jump into the water. And God, I ask you right now, if someone's been struggling with this, they want to know what love is like. They're tired of living a grayscale kind of life. They want to jump into what? A colorful life. To experience everything that this life has for us now and everything that eternity will have for us in the future, God. God, if those people in in this room would just pray with me that you would Take away our sins. That you forgive us of all the junk that we've done. That we'd walk with you for the rest of our days. God, we love you. We might not even know what that means yet, but we want to jump into it. We're going to try to love you more and more each and every day. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. Thank you that you would stop at nothing to have a relationship with us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Today, I want to, before we sing this last song, there's also these uh, invite cards. There's packs of 10 out here. Easter is important. Your friends are more willing to come to church at Easter than any other time throughout the year. And we want them not just to fill this church with people, but because we want a life, eternity changing encounter with Jesus uh, for them. So uh, outside at the, the welcome, the little poster thingy, there's packs of 10 invite cards, whatever. Take those with you. Uh, I hit up my kids' basketball team. You guys can hit up your kids' whatever team they're playing on right now, their class, whatever, your friends, your coworkers, but invite them to church. Spread that love. Don't look at them like, ah, don't splash me. Get messy with them. Amen.